On today's episode, I begrudgingly talk about the 1948 season with a horde of Demon supporters. Unfortunately, St Kilda are back in a position they know all too well. Geelong have some big names make debuts. Fitzroy make a quick start. North Melbourne begin to sow the seeds for future success. Norm Smith has a very memorable 200th game. And Footscray make a late charge for finals. Will they make it? All that and more coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say all right, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast. It takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Uh, we have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than <laughs> thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and a pretty big bookshelf of books. Uh, my name is Tim. Uh, we're on Zoom today, so I'm looking at uh, the Kazman down below me. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. i got Moz up on her screen. Hello, everybody. And Coops. Yeah, it's not. It's like a, a footy Brady bunch sort of scene going on here. I like it. <laughs> it very, it very much is. Um, so as obviously we're uh, we're in lockdown 2.0 here, so we are we're back podcasting on Zoom. Mm. But at least the footy's on this time around. Oh, is yeah. it ever? Footy feast every time. Looks <laughs> like nearly, nearly every day. I've decided we're here to talk about 1948, but I've decided we can take the year off. We, um, we don't really need to cover this year. I don't, I, no, Tim, <laughs> you're absolutely wrong there. This is one of the greatest. Yeah, movies. nice try, Tim. I think we should split this Just... into, a, into a trilogy, like Lord of the Rings, and do three <laughs> episodes about 1948. <laughs> <laughs> just just remember there's still the 2000 season to look forward to yeah, so whatever happens in this episode we'll come back that's so long away you had to bring it up 60s to look forward to and then i'm out <laughs> <laughs> then i'm retiring yeah tapped out <laughs> um, so i thought we might start with a bit of a uh, bit of a checking question today which we haven't done for a while but mm-hmm. what other uh, what other footy podcasts have you been listening to I'll jump in so that I can say the one other one that I've been listening to most is um, Sacked. Um, we just yeah. had Justin Leppich the other day I was listening to. There's so many. And Gary Ayres was on as a guest as well. And they're the guys, uh, Johnny Ralph um, from yes. Held Sun. Yeah. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, ripping, ripping podcast. Check it out. Yes. What do you guys reckon? So that, is, yeah. that is an absolute ripper. I do love that one. Um, mm-hmm. I've been listening to... And it's a little bit older now, but the season that was 1993 is just yeah, a right. spectacular uh, podcast and just sort of goes, delves into that, that history, more recent history than us, obviously, but geez, it's fantastic. And the interviews that those guys do is brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to the 93 season for obvious reasons as an Essendon supporter, but also <laughs> so we can go to... You know, maybe we can have those guys on as well. Maybe we can oh, how collaborate or something. Um, I've also I've been listening to obviously a little bit of Yank on the Footy. Um, he's a big bit of a fan of ours. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan Eddy, who wrote the Dick Reynolds book, he's just started one I've discovered down the coast. So um, I've enjoyed oh. listening to his weekly podcast because it's also it takes in a bit of local footy. Um, you can hear about Fish Creek, obviously, with COVID, they're not playing at the moment. 
Uh, and the other one is they came to play with uh, Danny McGinley and Tess Armstrong and Lemo, which uh, we've had two of the three yes. on. So yeah, and that um, Armstrong yeah. towards their podcast as well seeing as we both we've obviously we should yeah that that's that's a classic and as as we've seen from from our chats with those guys geez they're funny and quick and it, it's just it's mm. it's a good thing to listen to i love it um I'm, I'm thankful at the moment as well we're doing like year by year we don't have to do a weekly one because with the way the texture is at the moment where, how do you do a round wrap up where do you stop mm. round 10 ends tomorrow around 11 starts on saturday yeah exactly mm. it's it's crazy um, so hello to our listeners in the Czech Republic and Germany today and the US state of Virginia. Ah, okay. We're working our way around Europe. Yeah, oh, and, and, and Missouri. We had, we've had a few downloads in Missouri too. Oh, brilliant. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if we can't be there physically, at least we can be there in, in spirit, which is nice. Yes. Oh, that's exactly. beautiful, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and while we're, we're quickly giving things a plug, I'd also just quickly like to give the uh, the book on the take a bit of a plug as well, which is about Carlton, the bribery scandal at Carlton in uh, 1910. Yes, which we talked about obviously when we when we did those. But and and Tim, you've just lent that to me after you finished it, so I'm looking forward to cracking that. Um, yeah. So it's uh, Tony Joel and Matthew Turner. Um, they they really do a deep dive into that whole scandal and everything around um, that and payments and things like that. Very in depth. So if you listen to this show, and if you've listened from the start, you'll you'll read it and you'll know a lot of the, the players and the characters and the stories. Yeah, mm. it adds a little sure. adds a little bit to it when you when you do know the names of all those players and stuff, which is nice. Exactly. Um, so, Charlie, you ready to get stuck into some news, into some, uh, some history? Absolutely. 1948. Great year. Tell you what. Give us some history. Yeah. The hit, well, the hit song was Buttons and Bows by Dinah Shaw. Do we, uh, do we have a little a snip of that? Yeah, let, let's play it over the top. Beautiful. While we, uh, we, you, you go through some news. Okay. All right. So, 1948, starting on the 4th of January. Well, the year started on the 1st, but... The first event I have is on the fourth. I should yeah make that clear. Um, Burma gained its independence from the UK. Uh, on the twelfth, Mahatma Gandhi began his fast uh, to stop communal violence during the partition of India. And only just after that, on the thirtieth of January, he was assassinated. Um, he was shot in New Delhi uh, by Nathuram Godse. Uh, on that same day, the 1948 Winter Olympics opened in St. Moritz in Switzerland. Was this the first Olympics since the war? Yes, the Winter, yeah, 48, the Winter Olympics. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. And in Switzerland. So you know they're neutral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in uh, On the 4th of February, uh, Sri Lanka, what was known as Ceylon, Ceylon at the time, became an independent kingdom as well but we're still yeah. within the British Commonwealth. So they, they're beginning to lose a few of their, uh, you know, what what they, what they used to be part of the Commonwealth, I guess. Uh, on yeah. the 16th of February, the innermost of the large moons of Uranus, Miranda, was discovered by Gerard Kuiper, who also na they named the Kuiper Belt after. Um, on the 21st of Feb, the U.S. stock car racing organization NASCAR was founded by Bill Francina with other drivers. I mean, what a baby. NASCAR's just a little <laughs> baby at this stage. Unbelievable. 
On March 17th, the Hells Angels motorcycle gang was founded in California. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, on the 7th of April, the World Health Organization was established by the United Nations. So very similar, the Hells Angels and the WHO. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the 15th of May, the Australian cricket team was in England uh, and the Touring Australians set an all-time first-class record they scored 721 runs in a single day against Essex. I wonder if uh, Keith Miller was there. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, on the 1st of June, a sports goods brand uh, was founded in Bavaria. Can anyone guess what it was? Um, BMW. No. Puma. Oh, Puma. Puma, yeah. Uh, on the 11th of June, the very first monkey astronaut was launched into space in New Mexico. <laughs> His name was Albert the uh, First. On the 18th of June, uh, Columbia Records introduced its long playing 33 and a third RPM phonograph format. So the first 33s were released in 48. On the 22nd of June, Oliver Twist, the movie, opened in the UK. Uh, on the 29th of July, the Summer Olympics began in London, which were the first since 36. So, yeah, that we've missed, yeah, two sets of Olympics in the middle. Yep. Of the on the 14th of August, in the Ashes, uh, Don Bradman played his last test cricket match at the Oval, and he was bowled by Eric Hollies. Does anyone know what he made in his last innings? Wasn't it a duck? It was a duck, absolutely. But the Invincibles yeah, I... won the match uh, by an innings and 149-1 runs, and they won the Ashes 4-0. I can confirm that Keith Miller was in the test squad for that as well. Oh, there you go. Beautiful. And, and the duck, did that have any effect on his average? Well, yeah, if he... Even made a single run, I think he would have been over a hundred, but he was he finished with ninety-nine point nine four as his average. Oh jeez. How poetic. Ah, very, very tough. Um, <laughs> on the 15th of August, the south, southern half of Korea was established as the Republic of South Korea. And on the 9th, the northern half of Korea was formally declared the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, North Korea. And Kim <laughs> Il-sung was the Prime Minister. The word democratic is sticking out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In early November, Rimfire won the Melbourne Cup. Um, and I, this, this is one of my faves out here. 27th of November, the Calgary Stampeders defeated the Ottawa Rough Riders 12-7 at Toronto's Varsity State Stadium to win their first Grey Cup. So this is um, Gridiron. Yeah. This this game completed the still to this date the only perfect season ever in Canadian football. Okay. It didn't lose a game. Wow. Pretty impressive. Truly a great season. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> um on the 29th of November in Australian news, the first Holden rolled off the assembly line. Uh it was the FX Holden and the on-road cost was approximately 760 pounds. On the, on the 16th of December, the HMAS Sydney was commissioned and it was the first Royal Australian Navy aircraft carrier. 
and on the 19th of December in the NFL, the Philly Eagles took on the Chicago Cardinals uh, 7-0 to win the championship. And on uh, the 26th, well, no, sorry, just after Christmas, Mourner took line honours and Westwood won on handicap in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. So there you go. Okay. Bit of sports news in there for you. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Now, yeah, would you like you. to hear some people who were born in 1948? Always. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, there, there's a few great ones. Okay. On the 1st of January, Alan Alcorn, who created Pong, the world's first <laughs> video game, was born. <laughs> <laughs> On the 7th of January, Kenny Loggins of Highway to the Danger Zone fame. Footloose. Uh, and Footloose, of course. On the 14th of January, Carl Weathers, or as I like to call him, Apollo Creed. Yeah. Um, on the 27th of January, Mikhail Baruchnikov, the ballet dancer. On the 4th of Feb, Alice Cooper. Uh, on the 3rd of March, I believe, sorry, no, March the 4th, it was Jeff Kennett was born. Ooh. Current president of Hawthorne. Yes. On the same day, Lindy Chamberlain was born. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There's that one for you. Uh, on the 14th of March, Billy Crystal. On the 22nd of March, we had Andrew Lloyd Webber. On the 31st of March, Al Gore, the 45th Vice President of the United States and uh, environmentalist. And member of The Simpsons in many episodes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Guest star on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 27th of April, Frank Abagnale was born. Oh, yeah. Good the one. con man imposter of Catch Me If You Can fame. Uh, yeah. On the 26th of May, Stevie Nicks. On the 31st of May, John Bonham, the drummer of Led Zeppelin. On the 21st of June, Lionel Rhodes, the Australian boxer. And on the mm. 30, 30th of June, Galloway Unipingu, the uh, singer and activist. Um, on the 21st of July, we had Cat Stevens, or Yusuf Islam, as he's known now. Yeah. On the 7th of August, Greg Chappell. On the 20th of August, Robert Plant. And in Zeppelin as well. So, yeah, yeah. On the 12th of September, Max Walker, the cricketer and also the 82-game veteran of Melbourne. He played 82 games for Melbourne. On the 20th of September, George R.R. R. Martin of uh, well, Game of Thrones fame. Yeah. The 26th of September, Olivia Newton-John. On the 30th of October, we had Gary McDonald, or as many people know him, Norman Gunston. Yeah. Classic. Mm. On the 14th of November, we had uh, Prince Charles, Prince of Wales. Mm. On the 3rd of December, Ozzy Osbourne. On the, and on the 21st of December, I think possibly my favourite of the year, in a very star-studded lineup, I've got to say 1948, Samuel mm. L. Jackson. Oh. Oh. I mean, oh, yes. the man's been in every movie. So... <laughs> <laughs> What a win. Nice. There we have it. All right, then to some league news. Because it's football season, and that's the reason. It's the time of the year that we love. Uh, 
Um, so all VFL matches are now starting at 2.15 instead of 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Just so they can finish in the light instead of uh, darkness. Um, player, I know, a tradition came to the end of the MCG late in the season as the siren was replaced the bell. So the bell was known as Old Lysander, which had rung <laughs> for many years to start, start and end quarters. The, the bell has a really interesting story as well. It was part of a boat... Um, and then it was used in a fire brigade. And then I think in the, in the early 20s, a, a Melbourne member started, knew about it and brought it to the MCG to be used as the official bell for the games. That wow. is fantastic. So what was the name again, Tim? Old Lysander. Old Lysander. Yeah. So it was a bell that was used on a, a cargo ship. Um, oh, cool. got retired. So the bell was moved to a fire department, yeah, in Coburg. Cool. I'll, I'll post a link to this on the uh, on our website as well. Um, all right. Uh, in June, Victoria played South Australia and we beat them by seven points at the MCG in front of a record crowd of 42,656 people. Um, and this is when a sign was tried in a game and was said to be a great improvement. Um, then the two teams met again on the 7th of April uh, to mark the 90th anniversary of the first game of Australian rules football from 1858. Uh, I believe Victoria won again. Uh, and finally, in October, this <laughs> there's a really weird rule that was changed. Um, and obviously, this is following the season. Uh, the league passed a rule stating that clubs must not have more than 30 players on their list over the age of 21. Oh. And so it was kind of a, um, an equalisation rule where any surplus players they had over that age were free to go to any other clubs and was supposed to supposed to help the weaker clubs get stronger. So if you couldn't have that many veterans, then they were free to go and you couldn't kind of stockpile talent on your list. Mm-hmm. Looks mm. like St Kilda needs a bit of that this season. Yeah, absolutely. And this wouldn't come into effect until January 30th of 1949, but it was a past in 48. So there we go. So let's, uh, let's start from the bottom, guys. So smack bang on the bottom is poor old St Kilda. Uh, hmm. They played 19 games. They lost 17 of those, one, two, and finished with a percentage of 59.9. <laughs> or St Kilda. So, St Kilda, uh, captained by Harold Bray and coached by, by Fred Frout. Um, yeah, their lead goal kicker was Peter Bennett with 33, best and fairest Robert Hancock. A debutante Kaz was Dudley Mattingly. Mm, excellent. Now, Peter Bennett, who was their leading goal kicker in 1947, he was actually named in the Olympic water polo team um, for the 48 Olympics, but he withdrew because of uh, chronic appendicitis, I say, with my fingers in brackets. He later admitted Mm. he preferred to stay home and play footy with St Kilda, which, why would you do that if they're that bad? (laughs) Um, But he went on to then play in the 52 and 56 Olympics in the water polo team, so he didn't miss out in the end. Wow. So he could have um, been three Olympic Games. Could have. Could have mm. got a free trip to, uh, to London. Mm. So after three rounds, the club committee decided to ban liquor being sold at games in an effort to prevent ugly crowd situations. Whoa. How are their supporters going to struggle with, uh, with all these losses then? Seriously. <laughs> with flasks. Um, because as you said, Moz, there's very little uh, to look... Very little to talk about. Uh, round yeah. seven, following a loss to Collingwood, where the Saints could only kick four goals, their <laughs> McIntyre 
uh, wired the secretary, um, messaged the secretary and said he's never playing for the Saints again. Like apparently, yeah, the coach had bailed him up and said he wanted him to play with more vigour and he took offence at that uh, and would eventually cross the Collingwood for the rest of the season. Hmm. Now, so they suffered 14 losses in a row, round 15 being their very first win of the season, which came over Fitzroy. Um, so they were down by four goals at three-quarter time as well, but they rallied. They kicked six goals to one in the final quarter to get their first win of the season. Jim Ross with four for the winners. St Kilda have got a win. Um, and they also finished the season on a high. They won their very last game as well, beating Hawthorne by 13 points, despite only kicking five behinds in the first quarter to trail by 12. Uh, but they kicked nine goals to five after quarter time to seal the win. Peter Bennett, their water polo champion, with seven goals. Um, but the sad thing is, St Kilda spent all of the whole season in last place. Mm. Yeah, yeah, losing four so games in a row will do that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they did the same thing in 1898. So it's been a while between drinks of doing that, but yeah, not a good place to be. We know they're in the middle of, uh, I think, what was it, Kaz? Well, Charlie, we talked about it last time, like 50-something weeks on the bottom. Something ridiculous. Oh... Let's move on. Most. So Hawthorne came second last, but they were still three games clear of St Kilda. They had five mm. wins, 14 losses, and um, a percentage of 75.7. So a bit better. A little bit better, yeah. A little bit. So Hawthorne, uh, captain coached again by Alec Alberston, the lead goalkeeper again, Butch Pryor, with 20 less this time, 47. Best and fairest, Kevin Curran. <laughs> so they lost their first three matches before finally getting a win in round four against North Melbourne at Glenferry. Um, and look, it, in this game, they had the eight of the breeze and they slammed on seven goals, 13 in the second term and were never really challenged after that. So a very good win there to start with in round four. Um, the Hawks also had good wins over Geelong and St Kilda, but as usual, the team flagged in the middle of the season. They lost seven games in a row, including a thriller against the Bulldogs where the difference had been less than a goal at every change. Um, by kind of mid-season, Glenn Ferry over was a bog. Absolutely, like, terrible to play on. Um, but this actually helped Hawthorne. It helped them to beat Fitzroy in round 16. Um, and despite kicking the low, their lowest score of the year, they still held on to win by three points and restricted the Gorillas yeah. to just two goals in three it's quarters. It's been ugly. It's been very um, Their ugly. final score of six goals, seven forty-three remains Hawthorne's second lowest winning score of all time. Mm. Um, in a pointer of what was to come in future generations, the good fortune continued the following week when the Hawks beat the Cats by one point at Cardinia. And we know they've had trouble doing that in the recent times. Um, despite leading by 15 points in the final change, it was only the bell that saved Hawthorne. Um, but when you finish the season losing to St Kilda, um, it's not a good end to the season. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Went out with a plop. A plop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, South finished 10th this season with seven wins and 12 losses and 82.8 was their percentage. All right, so South Melbourne, uh, captained by Jack Graham, coached by Adams, 
Uh, their lead goal kicker was Jack Graham with 32. Best and fairest was Ron Clegg. Good. All right, some debutantes, Kaz. You ready? Mm. Arthur Fox, Jack Eichhorn, Chester Reed, and um, see if you can guess this guy's nickname. His name is Reg Harley. Reginald oh. Harley. Um, Gnarly Harley. Um, no. <laughs> What's his nickname? Oh, I think I'll call him Chopper. His nickname's Motorbike. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say that, but I thought you guys would just mock me. No. <laughs> This is the this um, is the forties. Nicknames aren't like there's, there's no. There's no. no uh, it's my time to try and guess uh, nicknames then, um, but also let's just hope none of them debut for St Kilda or Hawthorne. No, that all these ones didn't. Um, so <laughs> oh, they just, so South were now rebuilding. They lost a lot of experience from their team over the last few years. Um, in round one, they actually had three debutants in their match against the Tigers and still managed to win by fifteen points. Um, the Sporting mm. Globe called them too pacey for the Tigers and also labelled the team the Blood Streaks. <sighs> Bit of an interesting Whoa. nickname there. Mm. Um, and first gamer, um, Harley, uh, Reg Motorbike Harley, was named one of the best on field. And full forward, Don Taylor kicked five goals. Uh, Captain Graham said, our four was better than I anticipated and our new men all played right up to their best reputations. Hopefully, there's a bit of hope for the future. Is that what I can read into that? Well, yeah. Well, we we, we know they finished we'll tenth. Yeah, some some good young players coming through. Uh, round three was a good, strong win away over North, coming from behind. Don Taylor with five. In round five, look, they are just dominating the Lakeside pennant. Uh, they beat St Kilda by twenty-three points. Um, yeah, I, I can't see St Kilda getting back into this. Mm. What's the against, tally now? Oh, I think it's twelve <laughs> to five. Oh yeah. Not pretty. But anyone, anyone who wants to check that tally, we uh, we keep it up to date on our website. <laughs> so uh, just go to kicktokickpodcast.com to, uh, to check that out. Let me just. Let me I just think I want a Lakeside pin and update um, updated to 2022. I need to know how it's still going. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's 12. It's 13 to five. I can I can report for this stage of 1948. Mm-hmm. But they play again later in the season. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, round eight against Geelong at Cardinia. Jack Graham kicked 10 goals and the Suns won by the Suns. The Swans won by 20 points. Whoa. Following the round 10, 62-point loss to Carlton, um, Coach Bull Adams was brought before the committee and asked to resign. Um, apparently during a radio interview, he said that the players weren't vicious enough. Um, and the committee took exception to the word vicious, apparently. As a result, he was uh, asked to resign, which he did, but wasn't happy with it. Jack Hale, former Carlton player and coach of the reserves, was appointed their replacement for the rest of the season. And Bill Adams was a, a coach who took him to the grand final as well. So this is a, a bit of a big change. And what usually so, uh, happens... Sorry, Kaz. No, um, so uh, some of the teams... Uh, it's a pretty rough era. Some of the teams uh, j- just not rough enough or... Um, like There must have been... Because it seems like most of the teams are pretty rough. Well, that's just how you how you play. Mm. They're, they're all pretty rough. Um, so what usually happens when a, a team replaces the coach? What happens next round? They, they win, win the first, the next game. Yep, they win. So like it always happens, they beat Hawthorne by 26. Uh, Jack Graham, their captain, led by example, kicking three. And Clegg also kicked three. Um, round 16 in a low, low, low scoring affair. They beat the Saints by two points. 
with both mm. teams offering five goals, but now this puts them 14 5 up in the Lakeside pennant. But it sounds like an absolutely terrible game. <laughs> um, they lost six of their last eight, but their last game against Geelong in round 19, they absolutely smashed them at Lakeside Oval by 96 points. The Sporting Globe saying that South completely overwhelmed Geelong from the bounce. They played copybook football and virtually had the game sewn up at quarter time, kicking six goals, one to nothing. Alan Miller with five and Clegg with four. And Moz, I'm sure you'll probably mention Ron Clegg later on, but he, uh, he ended up pretty well in the Brownlow as well. Yes, he was high up on the list. Mm. Well, Geelong scraped just above South on the ladder, just by percentage. They also had seven wins, 12 losses, but they South's percentage was 82 and Geelong finished on 89.7. All right, so Geelong, captained by Lindsay White and coached by Tommy Quinn, their lead goal kicker was captain Lindsay White with 86. Absolutely. Um, some huge debutants for Geelong as well. We've got Doug Davies, good alliterated name there, Kaz. Um, mm-hmm. Bruce Morrison, and maybe you could tell us about these two, Kaz, Bob Davis and Bernie Smith. Oh, here we go. Tim, Bob Davis, boasting pace, power and panache in abundance. Bob Woofer Davis appropriately went by the nickname of the Geelong Flyer. Yes, he did. <laughs> Originally from Golden Point. Uh, Golden Point? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah, in Ballarat. Uh, cool. Ah, uh, Davis was an avid South Melbourne supporter as he, uh, when he was younger, but when the club rejected him, he tried his luck with the Cats. Oh, thank goodness he did because they immediately snapped him up, playing most of his career as a half-forward flanker. Um, a la... Hmm. I wonder who's like <laughs> in this era. Uh, this is where he was named in Geelong's team of the century, Bob Davis. And uh, Bernie Smith. That's right, Bernie Smith. Uh, Smith was ideally suited to a back pocket because he was pacey, had good ground skills, marked well, was always cool under pressure. That's one of our favourites, isn't it? And had superb judgment um, because he was so cool. He had all that energy to make the right decision, right? Yeah, absolutely. Opposition coaches came... <laughs> Um, opposition coaches came to view him as Joe Long's first line of attack and in what was a virtually unprecedented move for the times he was obviously often subjected to what would now be called tagging Mm. you had to tag him out of the game otherwise you just ain't gonna have a chance Bernie Smith played 55 games with West Adelaide beyond between 1945 and 1947 yeah that's pretty Pretty steady, winning the best and fairest award in his final season. His last game for, yeah, um, for his last game with the Westies, um, uh, they won the grand final in 1947 against Norwood, uh, in which he was widely acknowledged as, as the best player of field. Good. Um, so, despite a round one loss to Fitzroy, the three debutants in Morrison, Davis, and Smith all made promising starts. Morrison was cool and aggressive in defence. Smith alert in the middle and uh, Davis alert in the centre. Always good when your players are alert. They had some early season wins over the Doggies and the Bombers and their backmen started to stand tall. Players like Don Bauer, Perce Hunt and Norm Scott. Uh, Round seven, the Cats had a really good win over the Bombers at Windy Hill. And Bobby Davis was playing on Wally Buttsworth uh, and was named best man of the match um, for his seventh game. And he earned the Kia Aura Trophy, which was a silver coffee service. I don't know what a silver coffee service means, but he won it. 
I'm, I'm picturing a tray, like a serving tray. Yeah, well, that kind of fits in with the, the gifts players were usually given back then. Mm. And and what about what are the history of this award, Tim? Is it something between these two teams at that or at that oval or something? No, not at all. Kia Aura is like a sporting Good. program. I think it's a radio show. So oh, it's, like, it's like your uh, your plasma screen man of the match or your uh -huh. your hard yakka boots and whatever okay. and match and they get a free pair of boots. And that's what I think it is. Mm. Mm. Round I still would like to win it. Yeah, of course. Round 10, in an easy win over St Kilda, um, old mate Lindsay White turned back to the, the clock to the early 40s and kicked a bag of 11 goals. He's very alert. Mm. Before round 15, um, when they played Collingwood, they had a charity match between past players. Uh, this included players like Cliff Rankin and George Maloney and some of the old and Reg Hickey and some of the old classic cats we know. Um, £337 was raised. And this must have inspired the team to a win because they earned a hard-fought five-point win over Collingwood despite kicking 10 goals, 18, and five straight behinds at the beginning of the last quarter. Um, actually, Collingwood led by a point with little time left, but Irving kicked the goal to put them in front. And luckily for them, Jack Pym missed a shot in time on um, and gave the Cats the win. Now, around 16, the Cats lost to Footscray, but in the match, the North wind was so fierce. Get this, Moz. When Geelong fullback Bruce Morrison kicked the ball in after Footscray had scored a behind, the ball floated back over his head and in for a point again. How hilarious <laughs> is that? That's oh, my God. The goal umpire so, signalled a forced behind. Yes, <laughs> forced behind. That's insane. Yes, I count it. Yeah. It's inc yeah, incredible. And apparently three footballs were lost over the fence during this game as well. <laughs> Round 19 was an embarrassing loss to South Melbourne um, and was five minutes late because the timekeepers lost their keys and couldn't get into the uh, the box. <laughs> <to keep going. laughs> Now, in their best and fairest, Charlie, I'm sure you've got it there. Um, their three, two, and one, they're, well, their they're first, second, and third were Morrison, Smith, and Davis, the three new players. Uh, I've only got the I've only got the winner, but is that right? Yeah. So they're three new players. Well, that's good. That's good science for future, isn't it? Absolutely, it I is. like that. Um, and Lindsay White, their leading goal kicker, would actually win the goal kicking for the league as well. Yes. The first player to ever win this award for two different teams. And I was going to say, so, and I mean, how old is Lindsay White now? He's, uh, he's, he's getting on it. Been his early 30s, I'd say. Yeah, because he just, he, I mean, he's just jumping around all over the shop. So he's one of only three play, uh, four players who have led the goal kicking playing for two different teams. Can you guys name any of the others? Plugger. Yep, Sydney and St Kilda. No. One of them still Can't plays. One, played. Played, one still plays and one played in the 70s. Uh, one of them. Uh, one still plays. Yep. Oh, buddy. Yep. He's a uh, played for Geelong and North Melbourne. Doug Wade. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wadey. There you go. Oh, so North North Melbourne finished eighth on the ladder, with eight wins, eleven losses, and a percentage of eighty-three point six. So, captain this year by Les Foot and coached by Wally Carter. Their lead goal kicker was Don Condon with 38. And uh, best and fairest winner was Dally O'Brien. Mm, good to see D Condon doing well. I know. Um, some interesting, interesting debutants as well for North Melbourne this year. We've got John Reeves, who is the maternal grandfather of Richmond's Josh Caddy. Wow. We've 
got Claude Curtin, who's come across from Fitzroy. Yes. Uh, we've got Bill Harvey, grandfather of Brent Harvey. Mm. Um, Sal Murray's back from North Melbourne. And one other one, Kaz, that you're going to have a quick talk about, Jock Spencer. Yes, Jock Spencer. Debuting. In the opinion of the selectors who picked the Kangaroos' official team of the 20th century, Jock Spencer was the club's greatest ever full forward. Ooh, whore, Sal Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Recruited from North Kensington, a spectacular and effective aerialist, combining a prodigious leap with a clamp-like grip that rarely relinquished control of the ball. Spencer was also a thumping, if sometimes wayward kick, a bit like Richo, equally yeah. capable of registering full points from 55 metres out and missing everything from the edge of the goal square. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Richard. That's, I hate that. that's, that's apt. Yes. So Wally Carter, you said, was appointed coach. Yes. He's actually had an actual progression to lead the team. He was under-19s coach two seasons ago. They won the flag. Then he coached the reserves to the flag in 47. So for him taking over, it was a natural progression. He had a taste of coaching when he took over from Len Thomas in 1940, but now he'd really served the proper apprenticeship. So, which seems to be happening a little bit more often, like the coaches are coming through the ranks a bit more. They're, they're not necessarily just uh, ex-players of the team, although mo most cases they are, but it's, yeah. it is happening more that they're sort of doing they, almost an apprenticeship, aren't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, they didn't start well, though. They lost their first five games. Things didn't look good. But round six, they played St Kilda, and, you know, that's always a good booster for anyone. Knocked them off by 24. Um, in this game, North's centre line established its clear-cut superiority, especially in the second quarter, driving the ball forward consistently. Uh, they should have been further ahead if the forwards hadn't wasted their opportunities. Um, in early June, North had 17 players on the injury list with five of them having serious injuries. So that kind of explains yeah. their lack of wins. Uh, in round eight, the Shinboners beat, Shin beat the Doggies by 15. Donny Condon kicking five. Uh, in this game, two spectacular marks or grand high marks, Kaz, as we might say, were taken within <laughs> seconds of each other. First was Ted Jarrett, who leapt, he leapt so high his knees were at his opponent's shoulders. His long drop kick to vice captain Kevin Dynan was also marked in an equally spectacular fashion. By, the, by, a, team, by a teammate or the opposing team? Was it marked by Dynan? No, team. Oh, teammates, yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, in this game as well, Sal Murray kicked three, which would be his biggest haul this season in the few games yeah. that he played. Uh, round 10, North could only score one behind in the first quarter against Richmond, but more than made up for this in the second quarter by kicking nine goals one. Um, this and North's faster football and clever tactics proved too good for Richmond. They ran out 20 points. Nine minutes. goals one. Very uh, accurate Kicking there, Tim. We love to see a bit of accurate kicking. Very. Very. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, North's confidence was further boosted with a strong win over an inaccurate Carlton at Princess Park with North winning by 11. In round 14, that old shin bonus spirit saw them win by two points against South. They were faced with a 17-point deficit at the final change, but their rugged and spectacular play saw them steady in the final quarter. Dougie Johnson kicked the winning goal with 30 seconds to play. Uh, in round 15, a big last quarter saw them win against Hawthorne. They had wins over St Kilda and Fitzroy to see them win four of their last six games to finish on a high. Um, and also wanted to note that postseason, they took a team trip to Broken Hill. 
um, which saw them kind of grow and bond as a team and actually sets up the next few years um, as they head towards a bit of success. I mean, it just seems to work almost every time, doesn't it? I mean, in, when we, you know, a, a mid-season sort of trip, less so in, in recent times. I mean, obviously didn't work out all that well for Adelaide. But, uh, yeah, in general, it's, it, no. it's a good thing. <laughs> Apart from that, uh, wasn't there that trip that um, South Melbourne took where Bob Pratt injured his foot? Oh, or hurt his yeah. Foot? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's not going to get you. But then, we, you know, you look at the machine years. I mean, that was all started on their trip away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, finishing seventh was Fitzroy with nine wins, 10 losses, and a huge jump up in percentage now, up to 112.8%. Yes, so uh, the Gorillas this year, captained by Alan Ruffin <laughs> and coached by... The Baron. Sorry? Oh, the, the, Baron. Yeah, the, Baron, Alan Baron, the Baron, Alan Ruffin, yeah. And uh, coached by Charles Cameron. Their best and fairest was the Baron. And their lead goal kicker was Eddie Hart for the second year in a row with 61. Some debutants for them included Ken Ross, uh, Keith Williams, who's the maternal grandfather of John Longmire, and Alan Butch Gale. Can you tell us a bit about Butch, please, Kazman? Certainly. Alan Gale, Tim, 185 centimetres and 91 kgs. Alan Butch Gale, as he was referred to, was a lion-hearted follower who's tough resolute approach was allied to more skill than was often realized. Alan Butchgale was Fitzroy through and through. Butch joined Fitzroy from the police boys football team, making his debut at 17 years old. Must've been fair lad. Um, He he was, and was named Ruckman in Fitzroy's official team of the century. Kaz, why do you think he, let's just speculate. Why would his nickname be Butch? Hmm. Um, I don't want to say that he was a butcher because I prefer to say that Butch is quite a stocky person. Okay, well, 185 centimetres, 91 kilos. That doesn't sound stocky, but maybe he's just incredibly manly. (laughs) That's right. And so that's your theory, manliness. So the season started with magnificent wins over Geelong, Carlton, Melbourne, St Kilda and Hawthorne. Things looked amazing. They were a game clear on top. Um, across this stretch of runs as well, Eddie Hart had kicked four, five, two, seven, and eight goals. And so he was flying. Um, they had a, a bit of a stumble against the Doggies and then won their next three games, which was, you know, they were on top of the world. In round eight, um, they were actually offered an incentive to beat the Bombers. So racehorse owner, Ozzy Porter. I don't know if you've I heard of him, Charlie. No. No, Ozzy Porter, he was a racehorse owner. He offered the players £100 to split if they won. They won. Um, and it worked. They had a five-goal third quarter, which was the difference. The, uh, the Baron kicked four as the Gorillas won by 16. So between round seven and 11, the Gorillas sat on top of the ladder. Mm. However, they lost their last eight games to finish seventh on the, the men's ladder, team. which apparently is the, is the worst fade-out in the history really? of the game. In terms no. of... Oh. According to Peter Carter, so I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that, but mm-hmm. yeah, to, to be flying like that to then suddenly fall so they, away. Right. Um, so they went from the top of the ladder to seventh. Yeah, that's yes. terrible. Which would also so explain why really, they yeah. beat the top two sides and they lost to the bottom two yeah. sides. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a serious fall from grace. 
Yeah. Oh dear. They should have gone on a mid-season trip. Absolutely. Mm. Well, following the end of the season, Charlie Cameron resigned as coach. Yeah. Um, and finally, they had a bit of a new song this year as well. So as part of the Kia Aura Sports Parade in August, um, they had a new song and it goes like this. We'll all stick to the blue and maroon. We'll all lose Fitzroy, don't change that tune. We'll be premiers this year. Premiers this year, and you'll see us with the pennant very soon. Oh, I was just thinking, does Kia or a mean congratulations? Uh, is it something in, in, in Maori? Maori, yeah. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He's got a few different meanings. It's like a congratulations, congratulations and welcome. Yeah, there you go. Congratulations. Kia ora. Cool. Um, all right, we've reached the top half of the ladder now. Carlton finished at the bottom of the top half, sixth, <laughs> um, with 10 wins and nine losses and a percentage of 113 on the dot. Yes, so uh, captain by Earn Henfrey this year, coached by Perth Bentley. Uh, their best and fairest winner was Jack Howell. And their leading goal kicker was shared between Ken Baxter and Ray Darby, both finishing with 39 goals. Mm, nice. Um, all right, this is this is my favourite for the uh, the McCracken Name Award, Kaz. Basil Hunter. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Excellent. Basil Hunter. And of course, anything Basil really for me. Mm. Uh, round one, they got off to a winning start, smashing the Hawks by 41. Howell and Hands kicking four, so that's two players. Howell, Jack Howell and Ken well, Hands. This is what you'd expect from um, the, the reigning premiers, right? Reigning premiers, yeah. Round yeah. two, they unfurled their pennant, but lost to Of course to they did. Round three, Ray Garvey kicked a career-high seven goals as Carlton held on to beat an inaccurate Geelong by two points. In now round four, um, talk about an inaccurate season. In the first quarter, Carlton had 18 scoring shots. They kicked three goals, 15 against yeah, the wow. Dogs, and they ended up losing. They, they kicked 12 goals, 24 for the match. We've heard, we've heard this a couple of times already that you've mentioned to me about an inaccurate Carlton. So this was obviously a huge problem problem for them throughout the year. Mm. I mean, it's hard to believe that anyone could be more inaccurate. 315 is pretty horrific. It's pretty bad for the first quarter as well. To, to outscore your opponent for 18 shots in the first quarter to lose. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. outrageous. Um, for the third week in a row, round five, the margin in a Carlton game was two points. Oh, wow. But for the second week in a row, they lost it. So three games, they, they won the first one by two points then by, against Geelong, then lost to Carlton and Collingwood by it's two a, points. It's, it's, six, point, six point margin in three weeks of football. Yeah, it lost to the doggies and Collingwood, not, not themselves. Um, so the Blues actually had a five-game losing streak, which they broke in round nine over St Kilda, of course. Um, round 10, they scored the first <laughs> seven goals against South Melbourne. Ollie Grieve was unbeatable at fullback, marking everything that came his way and making South star Jack Graham's day a miserable. Uh, Ray Garvey dominated the centre and added the garnish to his game with five goals. Chuka Howell and Burt Deacon continued their fine seasons. Carlton won by 62. Um, their nine goals, four in the first quarter, was their fifth highest first, qu- first quarter score ever. Um, and that's accurate as well, nine goals, four. 
Um, in round 11, they played North Melbourne. And as often happens with Carlton fans when things don't go their way, um, they have a had a bit of a yeah, riot. they have a tantrum, yeah. basically. Yeah, so they're in, unimpressed with the day's proceedings. North Ruckman Ted Larson was abused as he left the ground injured in the third quarter. Larson actually stopped to argue with the crowd and appeared set to grab a spectator by the throat <laughs> before changing his mind at the last second. Um, and following the siren, a huge crowd of Carlton supporters gathered on the rate, gathered around the umpire's race and made demonstrations, and he had to be escorted out uh, by police with their batons drawn. But of course. That's what you do. Mm. So Carlton had a good yeah. late season streak. They won five games in a row between round 12 and 16. Um, Howes, uh, How took a how kicked eight goals against Geelong, which was probably the highlight. And they were still in with a chance to make finals, um, but losses to Essendon and Melbourne in the last few rounds knocked them out of contention. Um, they did finish the season on a high by beating Richmond and denying them a spot in the four. Uh, beating them by five points at Princess Park. But overall, you'd be disappointed as, as a Carlton supporter. Absolutely. That's what they've done the last the last two flags they've won, they then had very poor seasons following. Yeah, just yeah, fall, mm. fall apart. All right. Richmond. Richmond finished fifth with 11 wins, seven losses, one draw, and a percentage of 125.6. Yes. So the Tigers... Captain coached again by Jack Dyer uh, hmm. for, what, the eighth year? Unbelievable. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, he was also the leading goal kicker with 64. Their best and fairest was Bill Morris. Pale face. Yeah, pale face. Oh, pale face. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in round one, despite six goals from Jack Dyer... Uh, and their new player, Jeff Spring, being best on ground. The Swannies actually knocked them off. Uh, but, but this season would see would pretty much be the Jack Dyer show. He's moved himself to full forward now with Paleface taking over in the ruck. Uh, he kicked five goals in round two to beat the Doggies by 75. Um, as you said, Mozza had a draw in round... They had a draw in round five against Essendon. Um, the Tigers' only scoring shots in the last quarter were two points, so they were lucky to draw with Essendon. Um, round six, they came up against Collingwood, Jack Dyer's hated enemy, and he had an absolute day out. Kicked eight goals, Kaz. Led them to a... <laughs> Amazing win. what rage will do for you. Um, <laughs> Jack Dyer show just rolls on. He kicked seven against the Hawks and another win. Um, but come round nine, they had six wins, a draw, and two losses. But costly losses to North Melbourne and Fitzroy saw final suddenly in danger. Uh, something that I didn't know about Jack Dyer, you know, he sort of, once he says something, <laughs> he sets his mind to it. He absolutely. really does. The, the record round, shows that he just... Round 15, he, they absolutely smashed the Demons. Tigers' scoreline of 15, 16, 106 uh, was the first time any side had scored more than 100 points against the Demons yeah. all season. Uh, also, mm-hmm. Demons to their lowest score. In round 16, they had a bruising encounter with Essendon in which the Tigers lost by three points. But this game was significant because Jack Dyer became the club's games record holder, playing his 295th game, edging out former teammate. Yeah, Skinny I was going to say, so Skinny's just just been knocked off. Obviously, uh, nowhere near nowhere near Skinny's um, games in a row. There, Is it goals? No, oh. Not at all. Yeah. Um, so they had a loss to Collingwood, and that really put their finals chances in danger. 
They beat Hawthorne to give themselves a shot in the final round. They had to beat Carlton and hope things fell their way. Um, but the Blues were determined to drag the Tigers down with them. They didn't want them to make finals. Um, Ollie Grove of Carlton was instructed to harass Jack Dyer, in which he did. The game was close, but ultimately the Tigers fell by five points, thus missing five. So it's interesting. The I mean, the last three top teams we've talked about, Richmond, Carlton and Fitzroy, have all been there and thereabouts in terms of making finals. So... Uh, it was a bit of a nail-biter of a season. Like, it was jumping around a bit. And there's a very, very good reason for this, uh, which we'll, you know, we'll find out a little bit uh, later on. But there were, I mean, realistically, only three spots in the finals in contention at this at the later stages of the season. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, just a final mention, a new medal was struck in 1948 for the best first-year player, which was named in honour of Bill Cosgrove. Um, and that was won by Jeff Spring. Ah, best first year player ju- just for um, Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So Footscray managed to scrape into the finals, but with um, 12 wins and seven losses and a percentage of 103.2. Yeah. So really, that um, that draw from Richmond lost them yeah, yeah, in finals. So mm. the, tri- the tricolours yeah. making finals. Again, I mean, yeah, they're, they're looking pretty good at this stage. Yeah, in, right. in and around. They just can't seem to get the job done when they get there. But um, so no. captain coach this year by Arthur Oliver. Uh, Actually, Charlie, just, just on Arthur Oliver as well, I just want to fix up something we talked about last yeah. episode. Um, last episode, we mentioned that Arthur Oliver had applied to transfer the Hawthorne. And that was why he was yes. made, he wasn't yep. coaching. Uh, it was actually the other way around. They appointed Jim Crow and Arthur Oliver took offense and then he applied for okay. a which, which, of that. Which they denied. Yeah, obviously. But that's really strange. That So it, there is no reason to take him out. Because as we said, he coached four years. They'd made finals. Then, then they yeah. dropped him. And now... Just fresh, fresh blood, maybe a different perspective. But now they've obviously realised the error of their ways and brought him back. So as yeah. I said, yeah, last year was Jim Crow, but the four years before that were Arthur Oliver. So we're back to cap- him, captain and coach, uh, lead goal kicker for them, Bill Wood again, but um, only with forty-one this year after his seventy-five the previous year, and uh, best and fairest winner Harry Hickey. Yeah. Um, look, they had the dream matchup in round one. Yeah, beautiful. You can't go wrong. <laughs> they kicked 21 goals, 19, 145, smashed the Saints. <laughs> um, Arthur Oliver, back, back coaching, celebrated in Seoul by kicking seven. Bill mm-hmm. with five, Lou Barker with Baker with four. Um, then round two, the Doggies overcame a 23-point deficit at three-quarter time. So this is round four, actually. They, they knocked off the, the Blues, the uh, reigning premiers, overcoming a 23-point deficit at three-quarter time. Uh, and this is the game where they kicked three goals, 15 in the first quarter. Um, how, and the perfect handball carried the Doggies into a nice position. Um, Arthur Oliver gave, was given a free kick and kicked the goal that gave them the two-point lead in the end. Um, so in round eight... The Doggies were in the finals. North Melbourne beat them and they were knocked out of the four. Um, they had back-to-back losses in round 10 and 11 to Essendon and Collingwood and everything, like their season looked over. Um, but they would win six of their last eight games, including strong wins over Hawthorne by four points, Geelong by 34. 
Uh, and then between round 15 and 16, they actually played some exhibition games. Mm. So Brisbane and Richmond, um, sorry, Richmond and Footscray travel up to Brisbane to play a game in front of a northern crowd. Uh, that game was won by Richmond and 27,000 people came to watch the game. That's awesome. Quite big. Yeah, in round attendance. Six, in, in, the, in the round 16 match by Footscray over Geelong at Western Oval, there was 45 minutes of added time on. 45? 45 minutes? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. There's no, I couldn't find a reason. First quarter, they had 11, 11 minutes, five added. Second quarter, 13, just under 14 minutes added. The third quarter was just under 12 minutes added. And the last quarter was eight Jeez. minutes long. So just under 44 minutes of extra time played. That's incredible. So that's like a three-hour game of football. Yeah, luckily they started at 2.15 <laughs> instead of 2.30. An extra 15 minutes makes all the difference. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming coming into round 19, the final round, they had to win their last game of the season to get back into the four they'd been out since they played North Melbourne in round eight. Um, surprisingly, they played North Melbourne again, this time knocking them off. Um, so they trailed by two points at three-quarter time, but they slammed on. 11 goals, seven in the last quarter to storm into the final. That is a huge last quarter. Absolutely. Love that. They definitely deserve to be there. Oh, yeah. Collingwood. Right. Collingwood finished third with 13 wins and six losses and a percentage of 118.3. Yes. So, Collingwood, coached by Jock McHale, Again, uh, captained by Fonz Kine again. Their best and fairest winner this year was Fonz Kine, and their leading goal kicker was Lou the Lip Richards with 44. Uh, excellent, Lou the Lip. Um, so, some debutants should include Jeff Brokenshire, Harvey Stevens, who is a the godfather of Daniel Talia, who plays for the Crows. Oh, nice. And one Jack Hamilton, Kaz. Can you tell us a little bit about Jack Hamilton? Jack Hamilton, fellas, recruited by Collingwood from Ivanhoe Amateurs, Jack Hamilton was the halfback. Initially, that developed into a formidable fullback who was ruthless, relentless, and excessively physical in his approach. <laughs> Excuse me. According to Michael Roberts, there was certainly more grit than flair in the Hamilton game but it was effective nonetheless. He read the game well, could take a decent mark, was an effective spoiler and had fair pace, which is often on show during his attacking charges from defence. So a little bit of a redeeming factor there. <laughs> he was also a reliable kick who could cover plenty of distance, but his major strength was just that, his strength. Jack Hamilton was later promoted VFL administrator including three-year stint from 1984 to 86 as chief commissioner. Ah, a footy person. Excellent. So there were some grumblings pre-season from supporters um, because they were hungry for success. It had been so many years now since Collingwood had actually done anything. And so they were starting to take aim at all angles of the club, the recruiters, the committee, the coach, everything was there. Yeah, so this is, um, you know... Jock, Jock can only rest on his laurels for so long, Garni. We've sort of been talking about that the last couple yeah. of years. We have. Well, they're in the finals yeah. now. Uh, round one, they had a come-from-behind win over North with Louis the Lip uh, kicking the goals for that game. 
Round two, there was a record crowd at Victoria Park of 47,224 people to see the Pies take on South Melbourne. And the Pies impressed their fan. They won by 53 points. Mac Holton and Bobby Rose kicked four goals for them. Um, round five, they fought Carlton tooth and nail to register a two-point win. They had trailed actually going into time on, but against the win, they had three shots to, from goal, three shots on goal to register one goal two and win the game. So after Jack Dyer beat them in round six, they went on a seven-game winning streak, uh, knocking off the Demons by seven points in round eight. Um, now, following their round 10 defeat of Fitzroy by 17 points, um, they were given a reward. John Wren was hanging around the club and each player got five pounds bonus. Yeah, John Wren just handing out cash as usual. Good old-fashioned bribery. Yeah. Um, against Essendon in round 14 with a top spot up for grabs, the Pies did what they usually do at the moment and fell asleep in the last quarter to lose by 22 <laughs> points. Uh, this, was, this was the first of three losses in a row that saw their double chance slip through their yeah. fingers. Uh, in round 15, Jack Pym missed a shot on goal against Geelong on the bell. It would have won the game for them, but Pym recalled... I had a chance to kick it, but I missed it. I walked past him that night and he said to me, I thought you could do better, Pimmy. Yeah, so that's Jack Pym talking about uh, Jock McHale's Oh, cop that. <laughs> yeah, so one thing about Jock McHale, you don't want to let him down. He's, he's, he's disappointed. Yeah, face. it'd be terrible. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so easy win saw them steady the ship so that in round 19 they took on the Demons. The winner of that game would get the double chance. But surprise, surprise, the Pies fell asleep in the second half, kicking only three goals to the Demons' eight. They missed second, second spot by, I think it's about 6.6%. Oof. Yeah, that's, that double chance is, is really what you, what you mm. want there. Yeah. But guys, I mean, I think this is the first time this has happened. Both our teams are top of the ladder. Isn't that a great ah. We love that. Mm, we can be friends. <laughs> we certainly do. Melbourne. Melbourne finished second on the ladder, also with 13 wins and six losses, and a percentage of 124.9. Yes, yes. So the Ds are coached this year by Checker Hughes. Uh, they're... Captain, no longer Norm Smith, the role has been taken over by Don Cordner. Uh, mm-hmm. Best and fairest winner, Albie Rodder, and the lead goal kicker, an- another uh, name we haven't heard too much of. It's not your Fannings, it's not your Mueller's, it's not your Smith's, it's Lance Arnold with 41. Mm. Um, just on Fred Fanning as well, there's a, there was a bit of fallout from last yeah. year, so... So pre-season, the club decided, oh, we don't actually want to let him go. He's, you know, he kicked 18 goals in his last game. Let's let's see if we can well, hang on to him. Um, so they refused, yeah, we should, they refused his clearance back mm. to Hamilton. Um, and they're like, come and play with us. And he said, no, nah, I'm going to stay in Hamilton regardless of whether you clear me or not. Melbourne then said, look, we'll clear you for 49. Just come and play 48 with us. He said, no. Nah. They said, we'll give you accommodation. We'll get you a job. No. Nah. Then finally, they're like, okay, just, just play the first two games. You can play against Essendon. And we'll give you St Kilda again. You can kick another bag. He said. Um, so after, finally, after that round two game against St Kilda, they gave him his clearance. Um, interestingly enough as well, um, this whole situation caused a bit of a schism in the uh, in the Hamilton region, forcing the club that he was supposed to go to to split Yeah, into- so we, we sort of alluded to that um, when we talked about Fred last year. But yeah, it... 
quite a bit of the team, the Hamilton team, didn't want him there, and then the others did. So yeah, it caused a massive rift and pulled pulled them apart. And a similar thing actually was happening with Melbourne. So yeah, Checker Hughes uh, wanted to keep him on, and so they were they weren't giving him a clearance. But a lot of a lot of people at the club actually were weren't too phased that he'd left. So that yeah, so yeah. he he was a polarizing figure, we should say. Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and would have changed the whole face of the season, really, wouldn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And not necessarily for the better. Mm. Um, so round one, the new season opened in spectacular fashion for uh, debutant Bob McKenzie. Yes. The goals in the first quarter. Superstar. So Bob, Bob McKenzie starred be... last year for the thirds in, in 47. Wow, that's a big start in the thirds. And as we know, as I kept on saying, we won the premiership in the thirds in '47. So he he starred, yeah. he starred for them, and yeah, then came up to the to the ones and and kept on going. But also, um, Eric Roscoe, who was also a debutant, kicked two. That meant more than half of the Demons' goals kicked that day were kicked by first gamers. <laughs> that's incredible. But they lost to the Bombers, so what does it matter? Um, <laughs> I fell right into that one. Their round two win over St Kilda wasn't as easy as 1947, but they still won. Um, round four, they went into their match against the Tigers as underdogs and trailed at the first three changes, but they stormed home for the win. Um, they came home strongly in the final term and managed to sneak a win by under a goal, uh, Lance Arnold with four. Uh, this was the first of four in a row. The Demons' back line was playing dominant football and a deadly forward line combination of Arnold and Smith were doing yeah. well. And fast finishes were becoming their style of play. Um, over their four consecutive wins, they had outscored opponents 24 goals 10 to 4 goals 3 in the final That's quarters. incredible, yeah. Now, round seven, Melbourne champion Norm Smith played his 200th yes, game. Yes, he did. And how did he say, oh, Normie? And it would be it, <laughs> by abusing an umpire. <laughs> um, so Smith claims that he only said, don't be silly, but this is what happened. Um, in the first half, he was chasing a ball along the boundary line and umpire Jeffrey Jones called the ball out of bounds. Smith turned to Jones and said, you didn't bloody see that. So Jones reported him for obscene language and he was suspended for four weeks. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, the only suspension of his career. That's it. And, yeah. and for, for saying bloody. Incredible. Yeah. Mm. Um, There's a friend of the show, uh, our other co-host, um, who's a, a, a big a big red and he doesn't like it. <laughs> Um, Round 10, Lance Arnold Arnold continued his strong form as a forward, kicking six against the Hawks. Now, round 13, uh, Jack Mueller actually came back for this first game of the season against the Saints. So, Jack? Kicking seven goals in the first... Did he kick seven in that game? Seven goals in the first quarter to the team, got them off to a good start. Uh, in the second half, they booted 11 goals to two, which pushed the margin towards triple figures. Uh, Mueller kicked six, Craddock and Rodder with four. So Jack took a lot of convincing to come back this year. As we, he was he was coaching the seconds. I mean, I think he, he's 33 at this stage, but he's got he's had you know he's falling apart at the seams. Basically, he's only got eight fingers left, yeah. as we know. And it just I think his <laughs> his thighs and his calves and stuff, he's just. Yeah, he can barely get through. So, yeah, it took a lot of time to get him to come and play. 13 rounds, as we just said. Yeah. Well, round 14, they went over Fitzroy, allowed them to jump Fitzroy into fourth place. 
Adrian Dullard with five in that game. In round 16, casual like this, Melbourne held North Melbourne goalless in the first half. Um, they had a one in the third and five in the last, but it was North Melbourne's lowest score against Melbourne until oh, since 1929. Mm. Hmm. Oh, yes, that's very good. Uh, round 18, a tight game against Carlton. Bob McKenzie was held goalless for three quarters by Jim Clark, but exploded in the final quarter. Yes. Five goals, five goals uh, in the last quarter, three in time on, seven for the game. Just unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. And then, as we said, round 19, that final game against Collingwood, the winner gets a double chance. Uh, Bob McKenzie again, three goals in the third quarter. For the game. Um, saw them get away. Big convincing victory. They won by five goals. Double, double chance demons. Love it. Double chance deeds. Double chance deeds. I like it. And they'll, they'll definitely need, need it because who's sitting above them? Essendon. Mm. Essendon, clear top of the ladder for the season. 16 wins, two losses, and one draw. And the biggest percentage, 137.2. So they were sitting atop, feeling good, feeling confident. Absolute kings of trying to atone. Kings of the league. Try to atone for their five point loss or their five point loss the year before in the yeah. grand final in the last 30 I'm seconds. Incredible, yeah. So they've really turned it on this year. Uh, captain coached again yeah. by uh, Dick Reynolds. Um, their lead goal kicker was Bill Hutchison with 52, and he also was their best and fairest. Yeah, Hutchie really, really coming on into his own, allowing Dick Reynolds to kind of do what he wants now. Um, also, pre-season, they had a player called, uh, you might have heard of this guy, John Coleman started training mm, with them, yeah. but uh, ultimately couldn't play this season. He had to go and do some of his, uh, his educational stuff still. But we'll hear more about him next season. Yes. Uh, excellent, um, excellent defender, wasn't he? Um, well, <laughs> I think he kicked 23 goals in the game for Hastings, so not so much defender. <laughs> from full back. That's too many uh, goals. Just too many goals these days. Round one, the Bombers kicked away from the Ds in the last quarter to win by 19 points. And then, look, the Bombers just went on their merry way for most of this yeah. season. Regulation wins over Hawthorne South. Collingwood kind of challenged them, but not, not really. Uh, they drew with Richmond, um, and it was only Dick Reynolds playing the final few minutes that was seen as the brains behind the Bombers' ability to halt the Tigers' attack, thus forcing a draw. Um, round six, Essendon were obviously looking forward to redemption against Carlton. Uh, they didn't waste their opportunities this time. They kicked 19-7, to beat Carlton by 28. Well, see, Tim, hold it there, because uh, I'm just looking for what kind of a clue or a sign of what could what cause the disaster that was to come. <laughs> Um, look, I, I'm just, just getting to Hutchie and Kenny Newton kicking five and Harry Equid kicking four against Carlton. Just let me enjoy our wins over Carlton. For <laughs> <laughs> um, round seven and eight were the only two games we lost for the home and away season that year. They were both by 16 points uh, against Fitzroy and Geelong in back-to-back -back rounds. But then we, uh, we went on an 11-game winning streak for the rest of the season. So what, oh, what, is, yes. what do we think Round caused 13. that? A little bit of a uh, little bit of history, you know, distance. What caused caused a couple of losses in a row? Did, were there people out? Were there, or was it just a bit of a slump? Fitzroy. Well, was the Fitzroy the game, I know. Yeah, it's tough being at top. They need a bit of perspective. I know the game against Fitzroy. <laughs> a, a bookie offered the the team some money to, for them to beat. Uh, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Look, it happens. If you remember Carlton's dominant season in 95, they lost two games in the middle of the yeah. season. That was early two lost. Mm. Um, every team, you have to lose at some stage. Um, we, we've seen that through history that no team has ever gone undefeated. Well, unle- unless you... Unless you're talking about the Canadian football team that we spoke about in the history section earlier. <laughs> Undefeated. True. <laughs> Incredible. Um, round 13, the Bombers smashed the Hawks by 56. Journalist Howard Hughes said of Dick Reynolds, there's no doubt about Dick Reynolds. He's a marvel. To be playing football at such a high standard so consistently year after years in the game proves just what a champion yeah. he is. So, look, Bombers riding high into the finals. This is the year we uh, redeem well, ourselves. There's not, sure. I mean, this realistically, at the, en- at the end of the season, it's not, even a, it's, it's not even a question that the flag is Essendon's, right? The two teams they lost to didn't make finals. Mm. So, yeah. And never did Richmond, the yeah, team they drew with. So, you're just sitting there going, well, this is ours. Um, well, that gets us to the end of the season uh, and gets us to the Brownlow Downlow. The Brownlow Downlow with Moz. All right. The Brownlow Downlow. The winner of the 1948 Brownlow medal was William Bill Morris. Uh, his bit of background. Hailface. Yeah, Hailface. Due to his very fair complexion. He was born in 1921 in Calcan, New South Wales. And apparently he had an absolute whopper of a head <laughs> when he was born. <laughs> Um, his head was so big that the doctor quipped, weighing this much, you would better send him to a school where they play rugby. <laughs> and his, his dad was very pleased with this comment as he was an avid rugby supporter. And he vowed never to send Bill to a school where Aussie rules was played. Really? Um, wow. But the family then moved to Tassie and soon after settled in Melbourne, where Bill went to Scotch College. And at Scotch, he became a super-skilled cricket and Aussie Bulls player. Sorry, Dad. Um, Bill played for old Scotch (laughs) in the Vaffa, and he played one game in the Melbourne Seconds in 1940. He was 6 foot 2 and 86 kilograms, and he was traded to Richmond in 1942. He was traded to Richmond because Melbourne was... Uh, seeking to acquire Colin Galbraith. Yeah, yeah we talked about that. We did. He was highly sought after, um, but as we spoke about in the 1942 episode, Galbraith, he broke his kneecap Yes. Um, after only yeah, four games. So Melbourne had done a bit of a silly, well, a bit of an unfortunate swap. Mm. Well, we um, Galbraith probably would have won three brown lows, so... You know, that's yeah. It's just what happens. Old, yeah, it is just the way the cookie crumbles, yeah, unfortunately. And Galbraith retired. Um, meanwhile, Richmond at that time were thinking they'd accrued a dud because Morris was not in good form. He wasn't performing um, very well at all. And then war intervened. But in 1946, he he started to really get cracking as being a phenomenal player. He was being taught by Jack Dyer. He was Jack Dyer's protege. And as we mentioned just before, um, he eventually took hold of the ruck position in the Richmond team when Jack Dyer went forward. Um, He was known as Paleface, as we mentioned, because of his very fair complexion. (laughs) And he he also complained 
all the time, apparently, at training of all sorts of ailments. He was a bit of a hypochondriac. Yeah. Really? Always complaining. But then once it came to game day, he could fight through anything. He never mentioned any problems. He had extraordinary stamina and he um, could jump exceptionally high. So it was just during during the week. <laughs> he was a bit of a worry ward, I think. Um, and the, uh, the, one, the one thing you haven't mentioned, Moz, is he won the 1942 McCracken Name Award. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Why did he win the McCracken Name Award? Oh, for Pale Face. Pale Face, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> Very auspicious. <laughs> um, once Jack Dye retired, Morris became Richmond's big ruckman. Now, as for the Brownlow, Morris polled equal second in 1946, equal third in 1950, and this year he won with 24 votes. Carlton's Ollie Grieve, Ollie Grieve finished on 21 votes, so he was three votes clear, which is pretty good. Essendon's Bill Hutchison finished with 17 and South's Ron Clegg on 16. He was only the second Richmond player after Stan Judkins to win the award. Which we know Stan Judkins shared it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, well, no, at this point he, he won it right, yes. Right. Playing the least amount of games. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Morris retired from the VFL after the 1951 season, and he spent three seasons captain coaching Box Hill. Ah, he, yeah, he won Box Hill's best and fairest um, for each of those three seasons. So still an absolute gun. Nice. Um, and Moz, do you also want to go through the team of the uh, team of the year? Cool. Um, so I think this team of the year is it's not an official AFL VFL team of the year. It's just something that's been put together by the Sporting Life magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, in the back line of the team of the year for 1948, we have Footscray's Charlie Sutton, Melbourne's Shane McGrath and Essendon's Bob McClure. The halfbacks are Perth's Marcel Hiltz, or Hills, Carlton's yep. Burt Deakin and Collingwood's Len Fitzgerald. Um, in the centre, we have West Perth's Stan Heal, Collingwood's Bill... Bill Twomey Jr. Twomey. <laughs> and Tumi. Fitzroy's yeah. Noel Jarvis. The half forwards are Essendon's Bill Hutchison, Carlton's Jack Howell, and West Torrens' Bob Hank. In the forward line, our own Bill Morris from Richmond, Geelong's Lindsay White and Collingwood's Lou Richards. And the followers are Perth's Merv McIntosh, Claremont's Les McClements, and East Fremantle's Jack Sheedy. Interesting. Nice one. Uh, whoever's in charge of making this, it'd be. It's, I'm not sure how they're doing it, comparing different states. Yeah, and I know. Leagues and that's that's next level. So I'm looking at this. West Torrens is that Tassie? No, that's uh, that's South. That's, that's Adelaide. Adelaide. Okay, so they are taking Sandful into account as well. So they've got Sandful, Waffle, yep. and VFL at this stage. Yeah. Mm. Because I know for some seasons they'll do it in terms of the uh, the carnival. They'll make the best team. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting because yeah. I mean, looking at that team, there's some good, there's some great players there. But um, uh, Dick Reynolds isn't there. It's very, it's, it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's fun to share that sort of stuff because it's very VFL heavy, but it shows us who's yeah, absolutely. Well. 
So yeah, beautiful. Uh, Moz, you'll be doing that over the next. I think there's about ten of these. Yeah, they keep oh, yeah. going for a little while. Beautiful. Cool. Thanks, Moz. Gets us it to finals. Does. It's finals time. And and Kaz, Kaz, big news. We've actually started recording the final song. We've, we've put something together to start with, haven't we? Oh, that's right. Get excited. <laughs> um, we've got something that it really conjures up the the <laughs> good. Well, the feelings of the finals, you know what they're like. Yeah. Melancholy, <laughs> excitement. Everything. Right, so let's, uh, the first final, well, The Charlie. first uh, final uh, played at uh, 2.15, uh, we should say, on the, <laughs> uh, between Collingwood and Footscray, um, 71,514 people in attendance. Yes. Um, so in this game, look, the Pies kicked really badly in the first half and the, the Bulldogs really made better of their opponents. The Doggies led by 10 points at halftime. Things are looking good for their first finals win ever. However, the, uh, the pivotal moment in this game came when star Collingwood midfielder Bill Toomey injured himself. And instead of being replaced, he was moved to full forward. Um, and this is what Toomey said about that. He said, I had a bit of foot trouble. I felt as though I couldn't spring. I'm, it might have been nerve or something. There's been a lot of things said that I asked to be replaced, but I didn't ask to be replaced. All I can remember is someone said to just go down to the forward pocket. I went down there and took a couple of marks and kicked a few goals. After, after half time, I think I kicked seven. You can do amazing things when you kick a few <laughs> goals. <laughs> so, yeah, this would be the decisive move of the game. He kicked eight goals for the Pies, who went on to win by 35 yes. points. Yeah, so closer, close early, but then uh, Collingwood just ran away with it after half time. Yeah, so this would be the doggies' fifth finals loss since 1937. Yeah, the hoodoo. They just can't get it off their backs. Mm, it's and real. this will also be Jock McHale's last finals win as coach. So, interesting. So, Tim, would you would you compare um, this finals hoodoo to uh, Essendon's finals hoodoo of, of the current uh, era? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to clear that, you know, just mention it uh, for you there. Why are you wearing <laughs> All right, let's get to this semi-final. I think I've done. So, <laughs> this, this He's happy out, Tim. The second semi-final <laughs> played on the 18th of September at 2.15, again in front of 72,394 people. Essendon, Melbourne. Uh, look, a, a very even first quarter, three goals, two yes. each. Uh, second, the second quarter saw Melbourne lose Wally Locke to a knee, knee injury and he was stretched off. And as the quarter went on, Essendon slowly took advantage Melbourne's mistakes. Yeah, everyone thinks Essendon's going to clean up here. Oh, they are. Melbourne's mistakes continued to mount. Essendon took advantage, opened up a 30-point lead at halftime. It's done. Um, a brawl livened things up in the second term after a Melbourne player had interfered with his opponent. Uh, trainers and St. John, John's ambulance men attempted to break up the fracas, but the umpires took no action. Uh, Essendon went on to win by 36. Wait, Tim, is, um, is, Norm, Smith, is Norm Smith playing? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, he's back from his suspensions. Yeah, Still angry. Yeah. Um, no, so after the ah. match, Checker Hughes said he was astounded at the way we played. Um, he noted that he could sense that the demons were a little bit jittery when they entered the rooms before the match. Mm. Oh, there, was no, there was no chance. Yeah, so as, as Timmy said, scores were even at uh, quarter time, 3-2 apiece. But then after that, Essendon just ran, ran away with it, uh, had a 30-point lead by half time and then basically kept that for the rest of the game and managed to win by 36 points there. 
which meant that Melbourne went on to face Collingwood in the prelim. So on the 25th, uh, in front of 63,500 people, uh, Melbourne faced off against Collingwood. Yeah, look, both teams were physical early on. The game threatened to erupt into violence. Um, when the team settled, it was actually Collingwood who made a better start with three goals in the first few minutes. A bewildering, the slow-starting demons. Yes. And they took an eight-point lead into quarter time before Melbourne's high marking came into the game um, and kind of took over Collingwood's speed. By halftime, the Magpies were sapped of energy and by three-quarter time, the Demons were nine goals yeah. in front. Uh, the, big, the big hun, Jack Mueller, who had come into the side, was irresistible up front. Um, he'd actually... So there's a bit more of a story to this, isn't there, Charlie, where um, it was Checker Hughes who decided to bring him in. That's right. Well, so, yeah, he, they, he, Checker wanted him to come in a bit earlier, but Don, as captain, was just like, he's almost cooked. Let's, let's hold him off for the, for the prelim. Like, yeah, and... Uh, and because he's only got two games left, Don, Don thought. But uh, yeah, but he uh, go. He, he it was a handy ad. He had he kicked eight goals. For that's that it. Game. And but it's ah. just the com- it's the Smith Mueller combination. They just feed off each other so. Oh, good I think thrills, yeah. of of Mueller's goals, at least half of them come from from Norm. And there's a good quote I found as well that Checker Hughes was a happy sadist as he saw a disgruntled Jock McHale storm back to the room. <laughs> after the game. <laughs> Um, Lou, and Lou Richards could only say that Mueller and Smith had mauled them. Yeah. And Melbourne's score of 25 goals, 16, 166 is a record for any final until that time. And the match aggregate still stands as a preliminary final record wow. to this day. Yeah, it's a good, score, good scoring game. It's a good team. So that um, Now, this gets us to the grand final. Pre-game, the night before the grand final, Essendon had a bit of a function. And they were given some cupcakes to eat. These cupcakes had Essendon Premier's 1948. You know, that's it's such a bad one. Already celebrating. That's all. And, which actually reminds me of 1900 when Fitzroy had their bus ready to take them to oh, celebrate yeah. before their, their grand final match against Melbourne. Yeah. That's right. Um, we call that so hubris. What we're going to do is something <laughs> a little bit we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to boot up the Wayback When Machine. And we're actually we're going to talk to a few of the fans who are at the game. Uh, so let's have a quick listen to that. Oh, my word. That was just the most exciting game of football I think I've seen. Dick Reynolds, he can't pass the buck to anyone else. Everyone missed shots on goal. But if just one of them had slipped through, the Bombers would be the ones taking home the flag tonight. But no, now we've got to come back next Saturday to fight it out for another four more quarters. I might be an old-timer, but even I could see the Bombers were kicking themselves out of the game by missing all six shots on goal in the first quarter. The Bombers bought the killer Diller in the final quarter. They seem to have finally been kicking some goals. We thought we had it sewn up. Too often when an Essendon man secured the ball in shooting range, he was hemmed in by teammates who clustered inexcusably in front of goal. Melbourne's forward zone, in which traffic was shrewdly directed by Norm Smith, was a striking contrast in its freedom from congestion. Smith worked about 80 yards out, leaving the front of goal area open for Jack Mueller, who again played splendidly. Well, McClure halved Mueller's effectiveness by outmarking him cleanly. 
But Bushby's negative tactics of punching from behind succeeded only when the ball was kicked high and straight to Mueller. Uh, Bushby was badly stranded several times when Smith, the absolute genius in forward play, sent cleverly controlled t- kicks wide or short to give Mueller the short run he needs before rising for those high marks. I thought the Bombers were a shoo-in for today. What a fat head I was. They couldn't buy a goal to save themselves. If the Dons had kicked straight, the game would have been all over at half-time. In spite of Essendon's 34 scoring shots to 19, there was a little difference between the two sides. Individually, the Dons were superior, but Melbourne's teamwork was better. With the Smith-Mueller combination, the Demons also came nearer to revealing a winning strategy. They were kicking the ball before they had it. They were waiting to get thumped. Today by the Demon Chaps. Now they can come back next week and finish them off. Friday! Boy, those men played like demons today. It took all their mocks in the last few minutes to kick two goals to level the scores. Smithy and Spud Dullard, unbelievable. Mueller was just the bee's knees today. Six goals to go with his eight last week against the Pies. Never before have I heard such a deafening roar as the one that echoed across the ground when the umpire bounced the ball for the last time. The scores were level and I shall not forget my feelings when Melbourne sent the ball forward again and Norm Smith marked it less than 50 yards out. I thought we had lost another premiership, but instead of taking his kick, Smithy ran on. It was a great relief to me when the ball went out of bounds. Well, I say, that was quite a tussle. Did you see that finish? Smithy kicked the ball from 50 yards out and it rolled out of bounds near the behind post. Scores were level and a point would win them the game. There were only seconds left. Oh, the noise was unbelievable. The umpire threw the ball up and both Smithy and Don Cordner went for it. From my seat in the members' pavilion, I could hear Don screaming, Leave it, Norm! But Norm couldn't hear. Norm got his hands on the ball, but so did Cordner, and the ball spilled out. The Bombers kicked it back up the ground and the bell rang. So, some stats for this game. Goal, goal kickers. Jack Mueller was six. Lance Arnold won. Eddie Craddock won. Adrian Dullard won. Norm Smith won. Uh, for Essendon, Hutchie and Brittingham kicked two. Roll two. Bradley won. And some of the changes between the uh, the draw grand final and the replay. For Melbourne, we've got Bob McKenzie coming in, Doug Haywood going out. For Essendon, quite some big names in. Uh, Harry Equid, Les Gardner and Ron McEwen out is Doug Bigelow, Wally Buttsworth and Harold Lambert. All right, and then, uh, look, I suppose we have to... Yes, we do. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go and talk to Don. Let's Cordner. do it. The big Don. Um, g'day, Don. Um, Look, it's, it's not for me. It's not great to be talking to you, but welcome to our show. You two guys, real pleasure to be with you also. Uh, tell us a bit, Don. I'm feeling far more excited to be talking to you than Tim is. Uh, how are you feeling after your second grand final in a week? Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? The boys and I are absolutely knackered, but very happy to get the job, job the job done for Checker. Speaking of Checker, tell us about his effect on the team this year. It's the same as it's always been. His attitude and striving for the best has always pushed us along. The whole team has so much confidence in him. We trust him and would follow him anywhere. That's what I'm saying to Checker. If he had got his way, uh, you guys um, 
and you guys have kept hold of Fanning. Maybe we wouldn't be talking to you right now. Yeah, Fred is a superstar. With him, our forward setup was a bit one-dimensional, and he occasionally went missing when the pressure was on. Without him, we've had to rejig a few things, and it created a bit more space for Jack and Norm to do what they've been so great at for the last decade. Um, interesting you mentioned Norm there. Um, how was it taking over the captaincy from him? Look, it's an absolute honour, and I feel very honoured to take the reins from him. Norm is definitely still a spiritual leader around the club, and I'm lucky to have him around to ask for advice. And, uh, well, might we just say what a fantastic job you've done there, Don. Thanks so much. Getting the premiership does make it feel like it wasn't a bad choice. <laughs> so there are still some remnants around from your hat-trick side of 39 to 41, with yourself and a few others coming in over the past few years. But tell us about the new blood in the side. Well, young Bobby McKenzie is who you must be talking about there. He came out in the season opener and just dominated, even though a light breeze could have picked him up off the ground. <laughs> Yeah, although this young data had uh, his work cut out for him, uh, didn't he? Yeah, well, Norm was just constantly being injured and Jack didn't feel much like putting his body through any more footy and he was busy coaching the seconds. We were definitely looking a little lacklustre up forward in the beginning of the year. So, although you were still going well, the, uh, the inability to kick goals was really holding you back and over halfway through the year, it looked like making finals could have been a bit of a stretch. Yeah, we were playing well, but we just couldn't damage our opponents on the scoreboard. It was frustrating, but we still had faith if we could get some consistency in our side. Well, then, uh, after a couple of good wins there, Don, and, and also a couple of unfortunate losses, it seemed like it all came down to that uh, round 18 game against uh, Carlton. It was a big make or break for the season. That's right. It was close up the top, so we thought the win would almost guarantee a double chance, but a loss could knock us out altogether. Norm just took it to another level in the last quarter and brought Mackenzie to life with him. Bobby was incredible to see, kicking five goals in about 15 minutes. He had nine yeah. in the game. Oh, phenomenal stuff, stuff, Don. And that led to another brilliant game against Collingwood the following week, kicking six and winning by 30 points to secure the second spot and that double chance. It felt good and it gave us a bit of breathing space too. But Essendon had finished fourth and a half game, and a half game clear of you guys. Surely you knew you were huge underdogs going into the finals. Yeah, but Checker played a bit of, a, of nine games with us during the week. He took the side apart one by one and compared us to each player on the other side. When he gave you a direct opponent and told you their individual weaknesses and how you matched up on them, then that strength they had as a team seemed to diminish. Didn't feel like it straight away, but I think it sunk in after a few days. Mm. That's uh, very clever. Yeah, he's a brilliant coach in just so many ways. Hmm. Now, Don, we've also heard he's a, he's a little bit of a gambler. <laughs> well, I don't know what on his gut and this team. He took a big gamble on Norm and Jack coming in for the finals and had a tough time convincing the collectors, but he just knew they could get their bodies up for one last go at a flag. Even though they were battling thigh injuries, mentally they are as tough as ever. I had to convince Checker to keep Mueller on ice until the prelim though. I thought he only had two games in him. Well, after the Dons beat you convincingly in the first final and then a great win against Collingwood in the prelim, it was back to the grand final against Essendon. How did you amp yourself up against a team that had so outplayed you only two weeks before? Well, we had Muller on the side now, and with he and Norm back to playing together and contributing 14 goals between them the week before, we knew we were a different side, even though we were now without Bobby McKenzie, and we also brought in my younger brother, Dennis. Yeah, um, how exciting to be able to play in a grand final with your brother. Um, now, we don't want to get stuck on it, but uh, tell us a little bit more about the draw. How did you guys get it done after losing to Essendon three times by an average of 27 points? 
And how did it feel when the bell rang? Well, I have to mention, I mentioned to Dick at the top coin toss that it was our last shot at them. And he actually said, unless it's a draw, who would have thought? We were lucky <laughs> with their inaccuracy in the first half. Then through Jack and Norm up front, we managed to squeak it in with a, with a perfect torpedo from Dullard just on our side of centre. We knew the next score would win it, but nobody got a chance. We were so close. It was up our end, but it was total silence when that final bell rang. I thought we had blown our only chance. There was no way they would let us get that close in the replay. <laughs> it wasn't the case, though, was it? No. Having that extra week meant Mackenzie could be back in the side, and that just made all the difference. Also, having that wet weather meant we could use our bodies a bit more and just assault them. Well, it looked uh, like Essendon had just played all their best football throughout the season and just didn't really have anything less left in the tank by the time the replay came, came around, Don. Yeah, I agree. That's how it felt. We felt them coming back in the second half with some serious aggression with a focus on Norman Jack, but it just backfired on them. So that was it. A 39-point win in a second grand final gives you a flag. Your first and Checkers fourth for Melbourne. Tell us, who do you think was best on ground? Oh, without a question, it was Norm Smith. The spiritual leader of the club just dug so deep and was totally selfless, allowing others to kick goals and supply the ball to them. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your time, John. Go and enjoy the win with the team. Thanks all. Will do. Right. And goal kickers from the grand final replay. For Melbourne, we've got Mueller with six, Arnold two, Rodder two, Dullard, Smith and McMahon one. For Essendon, Brittingham two, Syme two, and one each for Hutchinson, Jones and Reynolds. Best for uh, Melbourne. Interesting to hear Don Corner say, if uh, no, Norm Smith would have won the Norm Smith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so best for Melbourne was Smith, Mueller, Bickford, Rodder, McLean, Arnold and Spittle. Um, and there's actually an interesting article a few years ago, the Melbourne's flag for this, a 1948 flag popped up on eBay. That's right. Yeah. So it had been, it had been missing for several years and popped up on eBay not too long ago. And, and did, obviously. Did Melbourne even know it was missing? I think that actually made a replacement for it. Ah, okay. But it popped up, popped up in 2014 for $80,000 oh. uh, up in Moama across the Murray. So police were sent there to free to uh, seize the flag, and they they got that flag back. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interesting I, story. Yeah, if you had that, I mean, you'd give it back to you'd think you'd give it back to the club. But if I if I was going through stuff and found the 1948 premiership flag, it'd it'd be a very hard decision just not to have that on the wall at home and give it back to the club. Mm-hmm. It'd be your doona, wouldn't it, Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> Um, so let's just quickly mention reserves and under-19s as well. So second premiership was won by, anyone know? Geelong. Geelong beat Richmond 114 to 81. And in the under-19s, no, Essendon, also lost, Essendon also lost to Carlton in that one by 10 points. Ah, so, yeah. Okay. We managed to get hold of the Melbourne Demons club song. You know, they recorded a few extra verses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we've been promising this for a while. They've got a verse for 39, a verse for 40. We've held off because they've got a verse for 48 as well. So have, let's have a quick listen to that. It's a grand old flag. It's a high-flying flag. It's the emblem for me and for you. 
Oh, the team played fine in the year 39 We're the demons that no one can lick, lick, lick And you'll find us there at the final bell With the spirit of 2666 Every heart beats true for the red and the blue And we sing this song to you Should old acquaintance be forgot Keep your eye on the red and the blue now the Tigers, they were haughty in the year 1940, but the demons would not be late. And we found them ahead at the final bell with the spirit of 26. Every heart beats true for the red and the blue, and we sing this song to you. Should old acquaintance be forgot, keep your eye on the red and the blue. Oh, the demons, they were great in the year 48 Because we didn't just know how to lose And it was thanks to Norman Jack That we won the flag back And gave it to Chair Every heart beats true for the red and the blue As we sing this song to you Should old acquaintance be forgot Keep your eye on the red and the blue um, well, I mean, look, as angry as I am at 1948, I can't hate that song. No, it's a reverse. <laughs> That's I fab. Wish, I wish we'd continued to add verses for every flag that we'd won. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't they play that during games? I mean, it's just, you can celebrate the past. Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right, here we go. Some retirees. So, um, we've got Jim Cleary of South Melbourne, 222 games. He missed the 33 premiership by a season. Oh. Harry, Hick Harry Hickey, 174 games for the Doggies, 169 goals. Wally Culpert of Hawthorne, 125 games, 116 goals. Percy Bushby, 132 games, two-time Premiership hero for the Bombers. Uh, Vin Brown of Carlton, he actually had a nervous breakdown and he uh, he never played again at, at quite a young age, but wouldn't live until the 80s. So he had a, quite a long life. But, oh, really? Yeah, he was diagnosed with anxiety. What would be anxiety now? Yeah. Um, Frank Cuccio of Fitzroy played his last games as well. Oh. He's been playing since 1932. Yeah. Uh, 349 games. He was uh, he named a back pocket in the Fitzroy team of the century. And finally, uh, Sal, Sal Murray of North and Richmond, uh, 121 games, 461 goals. Kaz, I know he's one of your favourites. Say the same guy. Can I can I mention another one? Uh, yes, please. Kind of take, it takes place next year, but I know we'll forget to talk about it. Is Checker Hughes is actually re retiring as coach of Melbourne at this stage? So 
Yeah. He, he holds the distinction, which is quite incredible, of being the only coach to leave a club as the reigning premiership holder three times. He left Richmond when yeah. they held the flag, oh. he left Melbourne when they held the flag, and then he left Melbourne again when they held the flag. Wow. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? He's a damn what, what a way to yeah. leave on top. Yeah, you're just, you're just walking out. Yeah, that's a boss move. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> All right, so uh, let's, let's... And just with Norm Smith, did he... Did, did Norm Smith actually do anything particularly, like, uh, uh, obviously he's fantastic, but anything particularly remarkable that started, you know, this association with being the best player in, in the grand final? Like, was it... Was it, it was that just was something that sort of, that, like, that's built up. Co- that's for his coaching feat. That was, like, a celebration of his coaching things um and oh, okay. actually good to mention that this is Noel smith's last game as a melbourne player as well yes mm. yeah but i'm i'm sure we will yeah i mean he was always going to retire as a, as a player at the end of the year but we'll talk more about no, no sorry no he hasn't, he hasn't retired as a player but we'll talk more about that next year yeah absolutely yeah. so let's wrap things up um the winners so previous for 1948 melbourne mighty days Go the Fuchsias. Brownlow medalists, Moz. Uh, Bill Morris, pale face. Yep. Leading goal kicker. Love that, man. Leading goal kicker was Lindsay White with 86 from Geelong. Correct, of Geelong. Yep. Uh, Wooden Spoon was St Kilda with their 15th. 15th Wooden Spoon, I'll tell you what. Um, Highest score went to Melbourne, 25 goals, 16, 166. Which score was was that their finals game? Yeah, so that's the first time we've had a final score. It'd be the well, highest. Apart the, well, apart from the sectional rounds in the early yes. early days. Yeah. Um, the McCracken Name Award, Kaz. Oh, it, was there a Basil that debuted? Okay, so, so you can have... <laughs> Straight up. Jock Lennon could retain. <laughs> Jock um, Lennon. We've got Dudley Mattingly, Arthur Fox, Jack Eichhorn, Reg Motorbike Harley. Chester Reed, Doug Davies, Basil Hunter, Jeff Spring, or Jeff Brokenshire. Well, um, uh, having recently become a motorbike rider, this uh, a purely I'm usually you know going by the, the people's choice, but this is purely selfish. Um, <laughs> I think I'll have to go for yeah, old motorbike. <laughs> but what was his first name again? I've actually forgotten. Reg, Reg, Reg Harley. Yeah. Uh, All right. right. So uh, thanks. Premiership. Premier tallies as of 1948. We've got Collingwood with 11, Carlton 8, Essendon 8, Fitzroy 8, Melbourne 6, Richmond 5, Geelong 3, South Melbourne 3. Not bad. Thank you, guys. Not bad. Not well, good. There's 48. I know I know three of us here really enjoyed that podcast. Timmy, thank you for sticking, <laughs> sticking through it with us, buddy. Yeah, look, I, I still might re-record the whole thing myself. <laughs> Just a series of reasons why you were robbed. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, or you're steadying yourself for the years to come too, Tim. Yeah, well, you I mean, re-record. It does help knowing what's coming in the next two episodes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, guys, it's lovely to uh, to see your faces, even if. It is over Zoom. Mm. And I've, I've got some good news as well. Yeah, likewise. We can, we can uh, turn the football on right now because there's a game that started. Oh, my oh, God. God. Straight in. I can't believe that. Um, yeah. There was one last night. Sydney. Sydney are winning by a point, six to five. 
There you go. Ah, excellent. And speaking of, of inaccurate kicking, Collingwood have started the game by kicking five straight behinds. Oh, <laughs> dear. <laughs> and uh, we can all, oh, I hope you guys did your fantasy teams as well before the kickoff. Uh, I really wanted to bring that up. Was it smashing us all in this? Yeah. No, I've had a few pendles has really stuffed me up. <laughs> oh, that was a great choice by you, oh. though. <laughs> My bench is all out right now. You're, you're still a game a game clear on top of our fantasy, our kick-to-kick -kick league, though. That's good. I did a bit of trading yesterday in both leagues. Oh, well done. Oh, my God. Oh, because well I'm bottom of the ladder in the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well, um, we're going to cross to Big Red and hear his Around the Grounds in a second, but thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Yeah, thank as always. You. I mean, we, we can, if you're in we, Melbourne, stay we, safe. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. And make sure you uh, you stay up to date with all your old school content. And check out the podcast that we mentioned at, at the top of the show as well. They're fantastic. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And make sure uh, to, you know, send some love to friends and, and let them know that this is here. If, they're, if their team's playing poorly this year, pick a year where you won the flag and have a listen <laughs> to that. It's always a good time. And that, unless, <laughs> unless you're a Crow supporter, we don't have, we don't have any. Well, we, we've got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> or, or really St Kilda supporters at this stage either, unfortunately. No, no but they're having a good season in 2020, so they're that's, okay. That's all right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Mm. until 1949, guys, we'll see you then. Hooroo! Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth in the grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1948 season of football from around this great country. First, we take a look at the Sandfall, where in the 69th season of competition, Norwood have continued their long-term dominance of the competition, securing their 13th minor premiership and their 21st premiership overall, demoralising West Torrens by 57 points in front of 50,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. It was a high-scoring second half for the Red Legs, scoring 10 majors to only three to West Torrens. The final scores for the grand final were 15-16-106 to 6-13, 49. The Ken Farmer Award for the Sanford leading goal scorer was won by Colin Churchett from Glenelg with 88 goals for the season. The 48th season was a breakout year for Churchett, who is about to go on on a big run of consecutive Ken Farmer Awards over the coming seasons. The McGarry Medal winner was won by, or the McGarry Medal rather, was won by Ron Phillips from North Adelaide. Phillips was an extremely versatile player, playing most positions during, the, during his 139 game career. His 1948 McGeary medal win came from a dominant season at centre-half back for his North Adelaide side. We may again see Phillips win a McGeary medal, which he'll win this time, uh, perhaps going back-to-back -back in 1949, where he'll win the award playing at centre-half forward, again playing and leading the way for his North Adelaide team. Over in the Waffle, where they head into their 64th season of competition, and we have back-to-back -back wins for the growing juggernaut of South Fremantle. The grand final was played against minor premier West Perth in front of 29,000 fans at Subiaco Oval, who saw the results being 24 points, a 24-point victory to the Bulldogs' side. For the game, we have the final scores being 13-9-87 to 8-15-63. The grand final is also the third season in a row that West Perth had made a grand final. Uh, final game of the season and unfortunately for them was their third season in a row that they'd been on the losing side of those grand final games. 
Our leading waffle goal kicker for the season was South Fremantle star Bernie Naylor with 93 goals for the year. It should be mentioned that the Waffle Leading Goal Kicker Award will eventually be named after Naylor, who will amass season after season of huge goals still to come. The Sandover Medal is won by Perth legend Merv McIntosh. McIntosh was a star ruckman for his Perth team over his 217 game career. We will hear plenty more from Merv McIntosh um, as he will go on to win multiple Sandover medals as well as multiple Simpson medals, which is the best grand final player in the waffle. And he also represented Western Australia on 24 occasions over a career that went for 17 seasons. Over now to the VFA, and in the 67th season of competition, we have a new club winning Premiership glory. The Brighton Football Club have beaten one of the stronger teams in the competition in Williamstown to secure their first and only Premiership. This was, however, Brighton's fourth grand final after losing three grand finals in previous VFA seasons. Their history to 1948 is long, having originally formed in 1885 and competed originally in junior competitions. They made the move to the VFA in 1908 and replaced Richmond, who moved across to the VFL at the time. They made their first finals appearance in 1926, making it all the way to the grand final, only to lose to Coburg. They repeated the feat the following season, again making the grand final, but again losing to Coburg. The next appearance in any final was in 1938, again making the grand final, but this time losing again, but this time to Brunswick. Brighton's years as a club were long as they were starved of success and nearly folded during the war years years of the Second World War. They were lucky enough to secure a committee and resume playing again in 1945, and then the 1948 season came came along their next premiership chance. The scores for the game were Brighton 13-16-94 to Williamstown 13-7-85 in a game played at the St Kilda Creek Ground in front of 18,000 fans. Interestingly, the 1948 Grand Final was played on the same day as the VFL Grand Final due to the drawn game between Essendon and Melbourne the week before. The VFA were in discussions to postpone uh, the game, not to, not to collide with the VFL Grand Final. However, this idea was overturned. However, 18,000 fans still attended the game, so it wasn't a total loss to the VFA. The association's leading goal kicker was Ray Potter from Preston, who kicked 84 goals for the season, and in doing so became the first player from Preston to win the award. The JJ Liston medal for the association's best player of the year was won by Russ McIndo from Brighton, who polled 44 votes. Jack Blackman from Preston was second with 38 votes, and Reg Shaw from Brunswick was third with 28 votes. Over in the VAFA, and we have Hampton Rovers winning uh, Premiership glory there and getting the honours. Um, we have the Sandhurst Football Club and the Golden Point Football Club from the respective Bendigo and Ballarat Football, Football Leagues winning premierships uh, for those sides. And with that, we wrap up the roundup for the 1948 season. Until next time, kick straight. In 1948, Doug Haywood and Dennis Corden have both played 
in two grand finals for the University Blacks, losing the first one and then winning the replay. And both were recalled to play for Melbourne. Doug Haywood hadn't played for Melbourne since 1944 and came in for the preliminary final, which they won against Collingwood and then played in the grand final draw, but was then dropped. Dennis Cordner played in both grand finals and coached the team that won the replay, famous for standing on a beer keg at half time and telling his team that unless they lifted, they wouldn't get a drop of it. And they won. Then he came in and played in the grand final for Melbourne, which was a draw, played at centre-half back, played at centre-half back the next week, and they won. So he'd played one game in 1943, was knocked out by Jack Dyer, went to serve in the Navy, and then was recalled in 1948 to play for Melbourne in those two grand finals. So two of the first three VFL games he ever played were grand finals. Dennis Cordner played one game for Melbourne in 1943 against Richmond and got knocked out by Jack Dyer. He then went off to serve in the Navy and he returned and played in the Amateurs for University Blacks. In 1948, he was recalled sensationally after he captain coached the Blacks to a grand final victory to play a centre-half back in Melbourne's uh, grand final side against Essendon. They had a draw and then he was recalled and played in their win the following week. He had never played centre-half back before and he never played there again. To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening. 